And it is good to be back. And though I always find stepping before the pulpit to preach a weighty thing, I missed it. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt in my heart that this is what the Lord has for me. That this is the work He has for me. This is the calling He has for me to do this. Not because of any good in me. Not because I'm a great orator. Because I'm not. Jesse, I know how you feel at times. But we do what the Lord is asking us to do. And He will be honored. He will be glorified in the midst of... Just make ourselves available. Just make ourselves available to Him. And and, and just look to Him. And, 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 and as you said, let the Word of God speak. That's what I want. Every Sunday that I speak is that the Word of God will speak. And that, that everything in between me reading Scriptures, I won't mess it up. And so, let's turn to Romans, the second chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 and see what the Lord will bring to us this day. The New King James Version. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge, for, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. I'm going to pause there just for a moment. Because we know what we read in chapter 1. And we know that they, uh, Jesus was, was speaking to a spe- specific group right here. That, that when Jesus went through those things, who pr- those people who practice all these other sins, that they were setting back, oh yeah, oh yeah, th- those people, oh yeah, they, they deserve judgment. But he's saying, no, wait a minute, you are doing the same things. He's talking to the hypocrites. That's who he's talking to here. For in what, whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. You see, this word was speaking to them because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, knew their heart. He knew who he was speaking to. Verse 2, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Let's pray once again.
Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And perhaps most of all, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. And again, uh, in chapter 1, we learn that God's holy wrath is upon the unrighteous. Look at verse 18, chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And if we'll drop down, let's pick up at verse 28 uh, through 32, chapter 1. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's quite a passage, is it not? God's holy wrath is upon the unrighteous. The ones who practice sin. That's their, that's their life. No repentance. No turning from sin. But a pattern of life that continually practices sin. You want evidence to know whether you're saved or not? What are you practicing? Do you practice sin? Or do you practice obedience to the Lord and His Word? And we also know this, that the judgment of God will be according to truth. (laughs) The truth of what His Word has said. Now, in this day and age... What is truth? There's the question. What is truth? And people are making up their own truth. Some of the stuff that we are seeing and hearing, it's, it's beyond my imagination. And if we try to stand for this as absolute truth, which I must, I'm intolerant. I'm I'm unforgiving. But this is the measure of truth. The Word of God. It's the standard. It is the only truth. Everything else is just men and women's imaginations. Did you know that? They're just doing what is right in their own eyes. And trying to justify their practice of sin, their lifestyle, whatever it may be, with a truth of their own making. But God's holy judgment will be based according to truth. And this truth, 
the Word of God. Doesn't matter what people may think while on this earth. Someday they will stand before judgment and they will be judged rightly according to truth. Romans 2.2 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. ESV We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. NASB. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. God's judgment will be right. It will be right. At at any funeral I've ever done, and and perhaps of, of someone that maybe I don't know or I really don't, have opportunity to know if they knew the Lord or not. One thing that I can stand and say, that when they stand before the Lord, they will be dealt with rightly. That I can say with all truth and all confidence. That God will deal with each one rightly. And His judgment will be perfect and it will be just. And each will receive their just reward based upon the truth of God and His Word. Each one. The, the last sermon I preached is a month ago uh, from, from, from Romans. Uh, we focused on verse 6. So let's put verse 6 up. Who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now that render, that, that's to pay to each the wage that they are due. We know from other writings of Paul, the wages of sin is death. Each one will be paid, rendered what they are due. And this wage, this rendering, this judgment will be according to deeds, according to works. Now, now you, if you didn't hear the sermon the last a month ago, about now you should be thinking, now wait a minute, what do you mean according to works? But we're, we're, we're not justified by works, preacher. We're, we're not saved by works. That's true. We're not. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Galatians and in Ephesians. Let's read Galatians 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of law, of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So we're, we're correct. Oh, well, I, I, I keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, do you? <laughs> do you? I, I think if anybody tells me that, it wouldn't take me about 10 seconds that I could debunk that as a lie. Uh, that, that we'll have to go through some, just ask a few questions. So you've never, you've never lied. You've never taken anything. You've never, you've never done any of these things. Well, well then, according to your own admission, then you're a sinner before God. <laughs> we are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2. You know that's where we're going. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Where did our faith come from? Did we conjure it up? Was it because we were so smart? 
We said we were so smart. We invented our faith. We we came to we we did it ourselves. No, no, your faith was a gift of God. One day, you you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were in darkness. There was no light at all. But God, in His mercy, chose you. Isn't that amazing? Why? Why? Out of everybody, out of everyone. See, that's the thing that should drive every born-again child of God to their very knees and just say, Lord, I don't know why. I don't know why you would choose me. I don't know why you would open my eyes to see your truth. I don't know why, but thank you, thank you, thank you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. We are created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then in James, the second chapter, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. And also, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then James comes along and makes the point of saying faith without good works is not a saving faith at all. But rather, it is a dead faith. Still dead. Saving faith will always be followed by good works. If not, what does it say about that person's faith? Dead. Dead. Now, can a person go through a time of disobedience? Yes. So don't be so quick to judge. But continue to pray. Continue to point out the Word of God. What the Word of God says. Let the Word word of God speak. Because true salvation always leads to good works. Now, I, I think I, I pointed this out. It's been weeks ago now. That, that Paul is not saying that works can save a man. That's not what he's saying. But I believe that he is making the case that works can condemn a man. Because to each rendered according to their deeds, judgment, works, works, works will bear witness as to whether we are saved or not. Our works will declare whether we are of the righteous or the unrighteous group that Paul has mentioned. And then Paul goes on to say that each of these two groups will receive according to their deeds. So uh, verse 8, chapter 2, Romans 2, verse 8. Let's walk through this for a moment today. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. So within this, Paul is actually saying two things. First, he speaks of God's attitude toward the unrighteous. And that attitude is what? An attitude of indignation and wrath. God's wrath is toward them and remains upon them. 
And until repentance would come, faith would come, regeneration would come, they are storing up for themselves wrath until the day of judgment. So wrath is upon them and toward them, indignation and wrath. Uh, John three thirty six. John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So for all the unrighteous, the wrath of God is abiding on them. Now, God is long-suffering. We talked about that. I know that was a part of that sermon a month ago. He is long-suffering. If not, He would wipe the unrighteous off the face of the planet right now, wouldn't He? But He is long-suffering. God's wrath abides. It remains upon the unbeliever, the unrighteous, and wrath signifies the strongest kind of anger, indignation and wrath. You see, when judgment comes, it will mark the end of God's patience. You understand that? When judgment comes, God's long-suffering stops. His tolerance. Is God tolerant? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that He doesn't strike them dead where they stand in their disobedience. That's being tolerant. One day His wrath will be poured out. Indignation represents an intense anger that moves forward relentlessly. Indignation and wrath. I want to read a portion from 2 Thessalonians. Let's go there. 2 Thessalonians. I'll read verses like this and you're going to say, well, preacher, what are you trying to do? Scare us all? No. No. We're reading what the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit may take the Word and stir within the hearts and minds of men and women and perhaps draw some to Himself. That's what we're doing. Now listen to this. Indignation and wrath. Uh, There's probably not a better portion of Scripture that points this out than right here. 2 Thessalonians, 1st chapter 6 through 10. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. See, the Lord is talking to His children and that they are under tribulation from the enemy, people on earth. And And He has this letter written by Paul to them. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Now listen. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me pause there. Think about everything we've read in Romans so far. Those who do not obey the gospel, Paul, what did Paul say? Those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, same group of people. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. 
when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. You see, for for the unbeliever, what is in store? Indignation and wrath, flaming fire taking vengeance. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And the wrath of God abides on sin now, but will be revealed in that day. And what a terrible day when God's wrath comes to full expression. Can you imagine? How will God's wrath be expressed? How will it be made manifest to these? That's Paul's next words. Tribulation and anguish. uh, Verse uh, 9 in Romans 2. Oh, is is this heavy? Yes, it is. It is. Romans 2, verse 9. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. Tribulation. Everlasting. Anguish. Everlasting. Tribulation means trouble. It means affliction. It means pressure. Now, You've heard stories of, uh, especially biblical times, of, of the harvesters that would go into a field, say it's wheat, barley, a grain. They would have their, their knives or their sickles. You know, you cut the stem, the grain is still sticking to the, to the stalk and, and the, the chaff that is around the seed. And, and what do they do? They bring that dried product, like I said, whatever grain it is, to where? The threshing floor. That's where they would bring it. And what would they do at the threshing floor? They would lay this on the the floor and, and do what with it? Beat it. They would beat it. They would beat it uh, with, with a flail. And I came across this in uh, from Lloyd-Jones. Uh, they, they, they would beat the, the, the grain with an instrument called a tribulon. Makes sense, doesn't it? They would beat it with an instrument called a tribulon to separate the wheat and the chaff. And a tribulon, obviously, or it should be obvious, is from where we get our word tribulation. To be struck. I don't know, perhaps you've heard people use that, boy, they were sure struck with some bad luck. Or boy, they were sure struck with this. So to be struck, to be beaten, to be battered, to be bruised. And this is what is in store for the unrighteous. Everlasting tribulation. So what of anguish? It means intense Suffering. It means being in torment. It means to be confined and separated with no hope of any help or relief. 
See, part of hell's torment will be its absolute, isolated, lonely, and eternal confinement with no possible hope of release or escape. Go to Luke 16. You know the story of the rich man and the beggar called Lazarus. Let's read. Luke 16, verse 22 through 26. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, Between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. There will be no escape. There will be no relief. And it is for eternity. I tell you, if, if if these kind of things won't keep you awake, I don't know what would. Jesus speaks of outer darkness in Matthew 8, 12. We'll just read that one verse. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. And and when you read it all, I I believe that this is speaking of the unbelieving Jews. Perhaps this is speaking of the branches that were broken off that the Gentiles might be grafted in. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. But the sons of the kingdom will be, uh, but sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, tribulation and anguish. On every soul who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. Preacher, what? Okay, okay, I I get it, I get it. But but is there an alternative? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Paul will be getting to the good news more in chapter 3. But here we can go to in chapter 2 to verse 10. Okay, we've got the, we've got the, the unrighteous. But how about Romans 2 verse 10? I don't have it there, verse 10. But glory and honor, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew First, and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So we have two groups of people, two outcomes, two destinies. Glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. But tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Two groups, two destinations. And everybody, even right now, is in one of these two groups. 
one or the other. Believer, unbeliever, righteous, unrighteous, those who, who, who follow after and practice sin, those who desire to live in obedience to God and His Word. Two groups of people, two destinations, two outcomes for eternity. Verse 7 in Romans 2. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. (laughs) See, this is the righteous who by the grace of God persevered to the end. (laughs) A patient continuance. They seek for glory. First and foremost, for the glory of God. And, and, and as was pointed out, God is already glorious. That's who He is. That's who He is. But, but look, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. It pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? That everything that we would say and do, or we'd eat or drink, that everything would be to the glory of God. You see, this should be our aspiration as a born-again believer. This should be our heart's desire. But we are also looking forward to the glory to come, are we not? Because someday we will be glorified together with Him. So even while we're here, oh, we're, we're, we're looking for... For the Lord to be made much of. To bring Him glory. To give Him glory. But all for the born again believer. We're also looking for that which is yet to come. When we are with Him. And we shall be glorified together with Him. Honor. (laughs) See not, not seeking the honor of men on earth. But honor that we now give to God and will also receive from God. Did you know we will receive honor from God? Uh, John 5, verse 44. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Glory. Honor. Immortality. Which could also mean incorruptibility, to never decay, never fade, never diminish, never be depleted. First <laughs> Peter, uh, we, we read these verses quite often. You know these, First Peter, first uh, chapter 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. On one day, for the children of God, it will be revealed, our glorification, complete. We shall be with Him. We shall be like Him. Can you imagine that? Ah, What heaven will be, will be. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. (laughs) Never decay, never fade, never diminish. Now, Paul speaks of this mortal body 
having to put on incorruptibility, immortality. That, that's in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's le- read that portion this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. Now, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed for this corruptible, this old human body, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's for the child of God, for the born-again believer. We have victory in Him, in Him, in Him. <laughs> we, we can't not sing at least the chorus of that old hymn right there, can we? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him. And all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. To be plunged beneath the flow. He sought me. He bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him. He loved me before I knew Him. We love Him because He first loved us. Otherwise, we could not love Him. But because He loved us. He loved us. And all these truths, Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, and I wish I would have I wish I would have got the recording because a lot of these messages are, you can hear him. Uh, this was back in the 1950s and, and, and thank the Lord they've got recordings of him and I wish I'd have got that little snippet out of there where you could hear him because if you've never heard him, he's got that, that brogue, incorruptibility and, and the way he talks and it's, it's, it's just glorious to hear him talk. But here's what he says, of all these truths, of all these truths, this quote, that is it. Now these people, Paul says, are seeking that. They are seeking glory. 
They are seeking honor that God alone can give. And they are looking forward to the state of incorruptibility, this immortality, the state of being perfect and pure that can never end beyond sin, above sin, eternally perfect in the presence of God. End quote. You can't put it any better than that. Oh, that, that's, oh, that's what, child of God, that's what we should be seeking. That we should be seeking. So may we examine ourselves this morning. Oh, let's all ask ourselves the question of what are we seeking? What are we seeking? Or ask ourselves, maybe even more importantly than that, what are we practicing? Examine our faith. Examine our faith. Is it, is it a true faith? Is it saving faith? Is it a faith I conjured up on my own? So may we examine what is the evidence of the life that we are living? What do our works, our deeds say about who we actually are? So a time of examination, time of reflection. Now, I want to look at one more thing. Earlier we looked at tribulation. And we know that while on this earth, even as born again believers, we will all face tribulation. Yes? Uh, you know, the, the line of, of uh, um, though Satan should buffet, though trials, we say will come. Will come. It, it, it's, it's, it's a definite. Trials will come. It will come. Jesus told us in John 16, we can read it, John 16, verse 33, you know the verse, where Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And that's true, amen? Because He is the Prince of Peace, and Him, in Him, in Him, we can be at peace. We have peace. We have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now, what what's tribulation mean? Go, go back. Picture yourself on the threshing floor. Picture yourself being beaten with whatever circumstance of life it may be. In this world you will have tribulation. And if you would just stop right there, this would not be good news, would it? See, if we just stop right there, that, that's, that's not good news to me. But if we've got to keep reading. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus said. Our Redeemer said. Our Savior said. Our Lord said. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In this world you will have tribulation. You will be struck. You will be beaten. You will be battered. Persecution. Trials. Sickness, illness, pain, tribulation will come. But be of good cheer. <laughs> Preacher, how, how can I be of good cheer? How can I be of good cheer when I know that I'm going to face tribulation? Because as a born again believer, we can face tribulation without anguish. I talked to you about this about a month ago. This was the part I was hoping to preach a month ago, but I didn't, but it was for today. Because children of God know this. We can face tribulation 
without the anguish. Without the anguish. Where do I get that? Where do I get that? Well, well first, let's do this. Let's read Romans 2, verse 9 one more time. This was talking about the unrighteous. Tribulation and anguish, and we talked about what each one of those was. On every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Now, now here I want us to go to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Go ahead and I'll give you time. I want you to turn there if you have your Bible. Go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Now, this, this is a very familiar passage. You're going to know it. 2 Corinthians, fourth chapter, verses 7 through 9. Now, here, Paul brings a form of these same words together tribulation and anguish. And, and I say a form because in the Greek, there's different forms of a word, but the root is the same. And so when you look, if you and I, and I printed off a, a sheet that's got the, the Greek numbers for, for both Romans 2 and for 2 Corinthians 4, and there's, there's one number different. And so that was in the collection of the same root is what that's talking about. Now, now listen, now listen. The same root for tribulation and anguish. Here's Paul. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side. Tribulation. We are facing tribulation all around. Hard-pressed on every side. Yet not crushed. Yet not in anguish. You see that? Same same words that, that, that Paul used in Romans 9. We are hard-pressed on every side. We are in tribulation all around, yet not crushed, yet not in anguish. And he does it again. We are perplexed in tribulation, but not in despair, not in anguish. We are persecuted, tribulation, but not forsaken, not in anguish. Struck down, remember we talked about being struck, being struck. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Now listen, say amen, are you listening? Child of God, we we can face tribulation without despair, without anguish, without just falling apart at the seams. We can face tribulation. How? How? How is it possible? Because of the treasure that is found within. This treasure in earthen vessels, what's the treasure every born-again child of God has within this jar of clay? The Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit that is always in us, always with us, will never leave us, we can face anything. Now, not to say there won't be pain, but we can get through it. We can get through it. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Oh, the the key, the key, the key. The power of the Holy Spirit in us. God with us, God 
in us. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Keep our eyes on Him as best we can and not on our circumstance. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You see, we keep looking to Him, keep looking to Him, keep looking to Him. He is bigger than our circumstances. Amen? He is bigger. Uh, Let's read uh, 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to drop down. That's where we were. We read 7 and 9. Let's drop down a little bit farther. Read verses 16 through 18. So so Paul said all of that. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now in verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, see the corruptible, the mortal, it is, it is perishing. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the spiritual, the new birth, the new creation inside, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, now get this child of God, get this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far greater and exceeding, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. (laughs) Remember we talked about what we're looking forward to, to be glorified with Him? While we do not look at the things which are seen, circumstances, Illness, you you put put it in there. We don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are not, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we look to Him, we trust Him, we trust Him, we trust Him, and He will, He will give us joy for the journey. Will He not? Will He not? Uh, Psalm 16, verse 11. Drop down a bit. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, I want to end with some lyrics of a song that, that I've been listening to. Remember what I said, if we would take that, the words of Christ, in this world you will have tribulation, if we would stop right there, that would not be necessarily good news. But we read the rest of it. And here's a song that kind of does the same thing with the verses, but then you get to the chorus and it gives you the good news. And I'm just going to kind of paraphrase. This is, any of you know the group Selah? Um uh, I, I forget the name, Firm Foundation, maybe it was the title of the, the album. It's got some great songs on it, I think. Um, oh, Yet Not I, that that's from that. And, and the title of this song was, There's Always Gonna Be. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase, if you could listen. There's always going to be a valley full of shadows. So this is in the time while we're yet on earth. Lonely nights when we have tears, we need to cry. 
there's always going to be some prayers that seem unanswered. Moments you and me have got a thousand questions why. There's always going to be some days when the cupboard is empty. The path is hard to see through worries and through doubt. Always going to be some nights when it's hard sleeping. And we're down upon our knees because of dreams that didn't work out. There's always going to be some skeptics and some doubters. Stones they throw and we would rather run and hide. There's always going to be times our hearts are breaking when songs are in the key of sorrow and goodbye. That's a, that's a good lyric. Because you have times in your life when the songs you're hearing or the songs of your heart is, is songs that are in the key of sorrow and of separation or goodbye. And so there's the, there's the verses. But then it comes to the chorus. Now listen. But there's always going to be a light that keeps on shining. There's always going to be a hope that keeps us strong. We always will believe there's a love that will never leave us. So there's always going to be the joy to journey on. There's always going to be the power of resurrection. There's always going to be new mercies with the dawn. With truth that sets us free and the sweetness of His presence, there's always going to be the joy to journey on. I thought that was great. And, and perhaps if you get a chance to listen to that song, it, it, it'd be much better than to me just trying to read it. But look to Him. Trust Him. And He will give you joy for the journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks. Thanks for Your grace and mercy. Thanks for loving Thanks for loving me while I was yet a sinner. Thanks for saving faith and grace. Father, our prayer would be if there would be someone who would be listening to this sermon, if they're yet lost, if they're still in that group, the unrighteous, the unbeliever, it's very plain what their end will be. Lord, You will give to them someday their their just reward, what is due them. But Lord, I pray that You would be merciful and that while they have breath here on this side of eternity, that You would open their eyes, that You would breathe life into death, that You would grant faith to believe, Give grace and mercy. Grant repentance that they may confess their sin and turn from their sin and follow You. So Lord, have mercy. Draw people close to Yourself, I pray. And for Lord, for those of us who are believers, help us to remember and never forget what Christ has done for us. Help us to never forget the cross. Help us to never forget the, the price that was paid for our redemption. And Lord, help us to live for You. Lord, help us to
to trust you even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of tribulation. Lord, help us to remember your word and to know that we can go through even tribulation and not despair, not be in anguish. So Lord, help us to find our rest and our peace in you because you are our only hope. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.